You pray for me this morning that God would use his word in the way that he desires it to be. Um, we're going to take a reading this morning out of the book of 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along with us, we're going to take a reading from 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going, to read two ver- <clears throat> we're going to read two verses today and we're going to focus on the second verse this morning that seems very suitable for the hour that we've come into, um, how things have unfolded this morning, and I pray that God would use His Word and apply it to your heart as He sees fit. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6 and reading verse 7. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The title of our message this morning will be drawn from the seventh verse of that um, scripture reading. And it's the last four verses of that reading. He cares for you. He cares for you. If you're like me, when I think of God, I think of this, and I'm not saying this is a correct description, because I don't think I could ever encompass what actually is. But I think of this enthroned being, high and lifted up. I imagine Isaiah 6 where angels are flying around the throne and they're singing, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. I imagine disembodied spirits. So those who have died that are no longer among us, but whose bodies still lie in the grave who have not seen the complete perfection of the resurrection take place where their spirits and bodies unite in heaven. Praising God and loving one another in perfect peace and harmony. I imagine Jesus Christ on his throne or next to God's throne. And it seems so angelic and lofty and high. By my own understanding, it would necessitate God being consumed with what's directly around Him. Because I can't imagine a being who is powerful enough to be fully there and fully here. And yet what the Bible teaches us is our creator and our savior is one who is not only dwelling in the lofty places of heaven, but for those of us that are born again, he also simultaneously dwells in our hearts through the presence of his spirit. I can't comprehend that. I have three 
rambunctious children. And at times they'll descend from whatever room upstairs that they're in and and they're all at once start jabbering, pulling, jumping, yelling for my attention. And usually their requests are very simple. Usually their desire is something that I can easily satisfy and yet my finite being does not have the capability to hear, let alone meet their needs all at once. And so usually in a very irritated tone, I silence the crowd and one at a time request them to speak. God is not like that. As the events of this day unfold, and in this very moment, people all throughout the world are sitting next to the bed of a dying loved one, feeling the unimaginable pains that come along with that experience. We, have, we see other events, political events, where men or women of power are making decisions whose implications are incalculable of how it will affect millions and billions of people and perhaps do much harm. God sees the child who's an orphan, who's never experienced what you and I probably take for granted, and that is just the experience of acceptance by people you love. I've never known a time when I didn't have a a place that was my own to go to, my people, my my family, my hearth, my, my safety. And yet there are children bouncing around from home to home looking for that, striving for that, seeking love and affection and attention. And when they fail to receive it and they lay down in their beds at night, they bemoan the pain and the hurt and perhaps look to heaven asking why. People who, probably in this hour, are cursing God and His existence. Then He sees you and I down here in Bowling Green, Kentucky, Nobody of extraordinary note or power, or talent. Likely, if time goes on, each and every one of us within the next 75 to 80 years will be gone from this earth. That's a humbling thought, isn't it? That some people in this room in the next five years will be gone. Some it may be 50 or 75 years. But in the end, all of us will be gone. And yet God sees fit right here and right now to care for us. All of those situations. It's a wonderful thing when you can bow in prayer 
and you can know that God is sharing with you that His complete attention is with you. This morning is many times in my life as I've gone through heartache and pain, this is the verse that I'm reminded of over and over again. See, the Apostle Peter is writing this, and he's writing this, if I understand correctly, towards the end of his life. Not right at the end of his life, but it's getting there. He's an older man. And he's looked upon a life of quite an experience. He's come a long way from where he began. He was a loud-mouthed. I think we could safely say that right. I'm not saying that he wasn't superior in some ways and admirable rather in some ways to other of the apostles, but nonetheless, he seems, as I read it in scriptures, to be somewhat of a confident, maybe overconfident, talkative, insistent, in the very least, man who had his own ideas, his own theories about life, his own desires that he would pursue. And then he surrenders his life to the call of Jesus Christ. And what a miraculous journey that God takes him upon. You can begin to read through the Gospels and present over and over the Gospels, especially as we read the book of Matthew and the book of Luke. We see Peter appearing over and over in these critical times of our Lord. And the Bible tells us at the end of the Gospel of John that the books could not contain all the things that Jesus said and did in his life. And yet Peter, for the remaining three and a half years of his ministry in Jesus' life through his resurrection, Peter was right there taking in as much as humanly possible from the life of Jesus. And then we see Jesus, after his ascension, passing the baton of leadership on to the Apostle Peter. And we begin in the book of Acts, and you can read from Acts chapter 1 all the way through Acts chapter 12, all of the things that Peter experienced in his life. Imprisonment, threats of death, all of these, uh, seeing thousands of people come to know Christ, establishment of God's, or, or rather the, uh, uh, the furtherance of God's infant church spreading out all through the Roman Empire. He saw persecution. He saw persecutors become the greatest advocates and disciples of the message of Jesus Christ. Peter had experienced all manner that you and I could ever experience. I believe the emotions and all uh, of, of, of difficulty and struggle and pain, all the way up to the feelings of triumph and conquering the hardships in this life. Peter experienced it all. And one of the, as he comes to this end of the book of 1 Peter, he's writing to all these Christians scattered abroad. He is trying to drive home in them things they ought to know, things they ought to believe and cling to. And one thing he tells us is that we ought to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I think you can have a, a variety of, we can understand it in a variety of contexts, but I think in simple this, it's this understanding that the unfoldings of our lives are done at the call and cause of God. I appreciated the testimony this morning of the sister that acknowledged 
I don't understand God's providence. What a statement. I don't either. You know, a person who humbles themselves under the mighty hand of God doesn't understand God's providence, but accepts God's providence for what it is and lives within it. Saying, this is the chart, that, or this is the, the path God has charted out for me. And I don't get it. But I don't need to rack my brain and my heart the remainder of my life trying to get it. Trying to see through the natural lens of the human mind. Because God has called us to a higher ground. God has called us to live in that exalted life of faith where we can look down and not understand everything for how it unfolds from our eyes, but cast our care and our trust to the one whom allows everything to transpire as he sees fit. And who has both the prerogative and the power to intervene at any moment he so chooses. Aren't you thankful this morning for a God who actively answers prayers and intervenes in the life of his people? Oftentimes in my mind, I think of things in terms of cause and effect. If this happens, this is the natural result. But aren't you glad this morning that God is not confined by the laws of cause and effect? That the laws of the harvest, you reap what you sow, God is not confined by that. God is so much bigger. And God intends for even incalculable loss to reap and to speak of his glory and greatness. Here, the Apostle Peter, having experienced all these things, tells us to do something, but notice the way that he, phrase, he frames it. Notice the way he phrases it. You know, in the Bible, many of the authors are very meticulous how they express things. I'm not going to say many, all of them are, because God is ultimately using the lives of these men to articulate his message. And so every word is, as the book of Timothy says, God breathed. God spoke through these men. And notice the first word of Paul's admonition is this, cast. Cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. What is this drawing from? Well, I believe it's drawing straight from Peter's former occupation, don't you? Peter was a, a fisherman early in his life. And as a fisherman, what he would do is he would go and he would get these large nets. And he would take them. And he would, with all of his might, throw them, cast them out to the water to catch those fish. There is an imprecision in what he is saying here. You see, in, the, in my mind, I think of God in this elevated place, holy, high and lifted up, me, this lowly creature, undeserving of God's grace and his mercy and his goodness, undeserving of his attention. And yet God tells me that whenever I come to him, the book of Hebrews says, I need to come boldly to him. 
I don't need to come backwards and fearful. I don't need to come being mindful of every syllable that comes out and how I misworded something and how I misspoke something and whether something is technically correct, but that when we come to our maker, our redeemer, we're to come to God and take all of those things that are, are, that are ruminating in our hearts and we're to take them and imprecisely cast them to God. You know what I find in that? Great freedom. Great freedom in prayer to come to God and not looking to perform. God is not interested in our performance towards him in prayer. We ought to come to him humbly and reverently, which to me is inherent in the recognition of how high he is and how low that I am. But then once we come to him in this humble, fearful, reverent way, we're to let ourselves come out and cast ourselves upon him. God, oftentimes I used to come to God like I thought he wanted me to. Like there was this prescription on how people, you know, you walk into the room of someone who's powerful or important and, and oftentimes the people surrounding them before you enter the room will say, now listen, you don't need to talk about this or make sure you don't do that because they don't like that or make sure you approach them or answer them and speak to them in a precise certain way. God is not that way. When we come to God, he wants us to come, as the song says, just as you are, just as I am. But notice the second word in that, casting all your cares upon him. And I, I tease Kathleen often, I call her the queen of hyperbole. Hyperbole is just a form of speech when you exaggerate all the time. So saying things like there are a million people outside, right? Um, or everything is the best or the greatest. In our English language, I, I think especially in our culture, we've become less precise in the meaning of words. People tend to gravitate towards that. I find myself in my own preaching having to pull back from that, having to recognize that it's necessary to speak as things are and not in a hyperbolic fashion. Because one of the side effects, if we're always speaking in hyperbole, then those words, all-encompassing words, lose their meaning. Because then when there are a million people, or we're using words like all or nothing, then in those situations, they are deprived of their extreme value. Which makes this verse all the more noteworthy. When God says, come to me and cast all of your cares upon me, he literally means the word all. He's not saying that there are some things, and I think in the Christian life, oftentimes what has happened within God's churches is that there are these situations that happen in people's lives and it's looked at as that's an appropriate thing to bring in the house of God or that's appropriate thing to pray to God. 
But there are some extreme situations. There are some things that are so difficult to express. There are some depressions so deep and dark and gloomy that they don't have a place in the, in the, in the house of God, nor in our prayers, because ultimately what we've accepted is there is nothing God can do in that situation. Thus, we must go seek out man's powers, and we've got to go get medicine, and we've got to go get PhD counselors, and we've got to get everybody else to intervene in a particular situation situation. But listen this morning, the God of heaven created every fiber that you and I see, every atom that is in the universe that no human heart, no human eye will ever set their eyes upon. And God has created all of those things and all of those things are completely under his sovereign power. And God in a moment can change whatever he so chooses. He can do whatever he so chooses. Which leads me to leave when he declines to. When he declines to intervene, that is just as much of God's doing as when he decides to intervene. All of those things. We're to cast those things upon the Lord. You ever ugly pray? You know, I think the house of God is not lacking prayer. We're lacking ugly prayer. Because really in the end, what, what the, the, the reality is, is when, when we really get down to communing with God and we're, we're casting all of our cares upon him and we're emptying all of those things that sometimes for years or perhaps decades we have stored in that heart of ours that is painful, that is hurtful, all of the losses that we felt, all of the uh, the the various emotions that people go through, our heart becomes this ugly place. It becomes in need of great attention. If you go to somebody's house and they've neglected it for years and years and years and years, what's it going to look like? Well, I can tell you, I went up to my uncle's here. He passed away not too long ago. Went up to help my aunt clean it up and they hadn't done anything for about a decade. And you had to go in, you had to have masks, and you had to have gloves, and the water had broken through the ceiling. And so uh, years earlier, and it was up in northern Michigan, so it had frozen over and over. And, and so on one hand, you're seeing the, the power of just nature and what it does to things. And on the other hand, you see these fine china, uh, fine china and these uh, nice wooden oak uh, desks and all these very, it was such a strange thing to see. But if you don't touch it, you don't do anything with it. Guess what? It's pretty rough. And the only thing you can do is bulldoze it all over and start afresh. You know, sometimes the conditions of our heart get into place. Well, we're in such desperate need to cast, to purge everything out that when we do, it comes out extremely ugly. That's what God wants. That. That part of you that you, you hold back and you refrain from, from releasing to anybody, even your own spouse, God wants that. He invites you here. He is, he is inviting you. He's saying, cast all of it upon me. Notice who we're to cast it on. Not the church. Listen, uh, this morning, I, I am, I'm so thankful for mornings like this morning when we come into the house of God and people are willing to get up and, and say what's on their heart. I hope every Sunday we can be like this, don't you? Wasn't it good to come into the house of God this morning and people, regardless of what it is, just opening up their heart, not, not hiding behind the suits and the ties, but just being and sharing what's in us. We need to be that way. 
Same time. We don't need to come in and dump prayer requests on people. That's you know, so my dad would always tell me. One thing that bothered him in coming to the house of the Lord is when people would pass their prayer request to other people. And he would, he would tell me as a kid, don't speak. Don't get up and make a prayer request and ask people to, to pray for things until that thing is, is in you first. Until you're carrying that load first. Until it's something that weighs you down. And that you want God's people coming in and you're saying, I've got this burden. Carry it with me. What he taught me was the beginning of service, that's meant for praise, for worship. That when we come into the house of God, we ought to place him in his exalted place before the world and one another. And then in the midst of that, if there is some need that we have, we bring that as well before one another. I hope you understand the spirit of what I'm meaning. I'm not discouraging prayer requests this morning one bit. But notice what the text says. Casting all your cares where? To him. Oh, that God would grant us the freedom in prayer to cast things at his feet and know that he is receiving them. Have you ever had that experience where God has revealed to you that he has taken the matter into his hands and you don't need to worry anymore? What a wonderful place. It's almost like I become speechless, you know? It's things that I've hit, that I've, I've carried for so long. And then one prayer, God says, okay, I've got that. Now you can move on. That's where God wants us to get when we cast all of our cares upon him. Here, Peter, from experience, is telling us to do that. And then he's telling us, why? For or because. The reason you're to cast everything upon him. You know, we got a, our house this weekend, this past Friday, we moved into our house. Going through and, you, you know, you spend two days looking around. You're like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> oh, that needs to be fixed. Right? And you start seeing where. I'm not going to accuse people of hiding things, but I'm not going to say they didn't either, right? So I found myself reaching out, saying, hey, what about somebody who can, do you know somebody who can help me with this? And multiple times I've had people say, yeah, contact this person, they'll take care of it. Or in other words, they're an expert. It is well within their scope and power to fix whatever issue that you have and that you're bringing before them. Here, here's what the scripture says. God wants you to cast everything upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Such a simple thing. And yet so profound when understood is true. I love the singularity of it. He doesn't say, as you might in Kentucky, God cares for y'all, right? But he's speaking personally. Listen to me this morning. Please hear this. God cares about you. You. 
God cares for you. God cares for what happens to you, for the things going on in your heart, for the fears, trepidations, and anxieties that you have looking ahead. God cares for you. Now I think of, there's a famous, um, if I can quote it correctly, there's a famous catechism called the Westminster Catechism. And one of the most famous questions that it asks, a catechism is often something that you would use to teach a child. So you ask a question and they recite or they memorize a certain answer and they give it back to you. And so especially back during the Middle Ages, this was a common thing that Catholics would do. And even up to this day, Catholics will have a, a catechism. And this Westminster Catechism, although it's got many beliefs in there that are Calvinistic and I don't believe in, the most famous thing that emanated from there was, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of mankind? And there's two parts of it. And in my mind, there are two steps to the same purpose, two feet, two legs to the same purpose. You have to have both. When you take one and you separate it, it becomes incomplete. And the response the child was supposed to give was the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You have to have both. I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but know this. God wants you to find joy and enjoyment in this life. He wants you to find joy in this life. And when you are finding joy in Him and the things that He, the works, the, the life that He has called you to, the greatest thing in worshiping God, whenever we, uh, whenever we praise God, when we're expressing our joy and it becomes manifest, that's indicating to God that we prize Him, that we prize what He has done. And so when joy is flooding through our soul and peace and love, then all of those fruits of the Spirit begin to, we begin to experimentally taste with our hearts and we're living those things. And those moments, as those things are, are coming through us and manifesting through us, us, that is when God is getting the optimum praise he can from you. When you're finding enjoyment in him. When you're loving him, whenever you're saying, you can say things like, there is no place I would rather be. There is nothing I would rather do than be right here in the middle of God's will doing exactly what he wants. And you find joy. And oftentimes people we've seen in God's house shout or some people will sing or some people will impassionedly testify. Some people, the Bible teaches us, that becomes unutterable. They can't even express with their lips the joy and enjoyment and satisfaction they're finding in God. Do you realize what heaven will be is in enjoying God? And that is what is bringing him glory. Is that there's never a moment where you say, man, I wish I could go do something else. It's that he has perfected you within and you're finding optimum, complete joy in him. God cares for you and in caring for you he draws you to himself where he knows that is the only place that you'll find peace 
this morning, as we had so many heavy hearts speaking today. I hope, you know, down here, you're going to wrestle. You're going to wrestle with life. The Bible teaches us, Jesus said before his crucifixion, in this life you shall find tribulation, right? You're going to find tribulation down here. You're going to find pain. And this idea that we can be, uh, can adopt that, you know, if I can just get here in life, then all the problems will fade away. I'll give you a little secret. That never happens. There never comes a point where we reach this place in life where now the problems are gone. Oh, temporarily God gives us in this life moments of peace. Oh, but the shadow of things behind and the things that are before us we know are coming. So we appreciate it. But it's because God is drawing us. God is revealing to us that there is a greater place where this life And all the things that are done in it, they're going to follow us to that place. But that place will be free of all the things that makes it miserable down here. This morning, as we wrestle with these things, cast your cares upon him. Because he cares for you. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do? To... Take, our, take his yoke upon us and learn of him. He is meek and lowly of heart and we shall find what? Rest unto our souls. You know, you know what the rest is in that text, what I believe it is? It's not this feeling of peace. It's being in him. That's the rest. When do you find the most rest in life? Is it not when he is with you? Like those moments where you sense God's presence palpably. It doesn't really matter what's going on. In that moment, are you not resting? Is there not a restoration that is taking place inside of you? That's what God wants for you. This morning... God cares for you. Satan will do his best, and our own carnal fallen minds will do our best to imagine ourselves. You know, I've spoken in front of big crowds before, and it comes to a place when a crowd gets so big you don't see faces anymore. You just see the masses. You just see this different colors and shades, but you don't see individuals anymore. Satan will convince us, our own carnal hearts will convince us that's how God sees the world just the masses. And although God did love the world enough to give his only son, he also loved you enough to give his only son to save you. This morning, I want to encourage you today, especially for so many of the requests that were made this morning, for so many of the broken hearts that were here today, there is one place you can go and find rest. Just one. Casting all your cares upon him because God cares for you.